Bethany back into the temple for the last time in his earthly life. It had been a hectic morning. He'd started out early on his way. And he encountered four different groups of people who were not his friends. They were his bitterest of enemies. He, the first group that he encountered was made up of, of scribes and elders and, and priests. Those would have been a select committee from the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was, a, was the Jewish Supreme Court. Now, we have nine on our Supreme Court, but they had 70 on their Supreme Court. And so this group comes from the Sanhedrin, which were the rulers and the authority of that day. I mean, they were in charge. They made all the rules. They interpreted all the laws. They were the men of authority. They were in charge. And they come to Jesus and they challenge his authority. And they say, by what authority are you doing the things you're doing? By what authority are you saying the things that you're saying? We're the authority here and we have not given you any authority to do these things. Who did you get your authority from? Well, finally they go their way. And here comes a second group, a group of the Herodians and Pharisees, and those were the two main political groups of that day. We have Democrats and Republicans. Well, those folks had Herodians and Pharisees, and they were the main political leaders, and they come and they challenge Jesus concerning his politics. They say, we, we want to ask you a question. Is it lawful for us as Jews to pay tribute unto Caesar? That was the hotbed issue of that day. We have hotbed issues today like abortion and other things, but, but the hotbed issue of that day was, are Jews supposed to pay taxes to Rome? And so they challenged his politics. Finally, they left. And here came the third group. These were the Sadducees, and they were the resident theologians of the day. Now, I don't know how they got to be the theologians because they didn't believe anything. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the spirit world. And especially, they did not believe in a resurrection. You died, that's it. They didn't believe in a resurrection, and everywhere Jesus went, he proclaimed the resurrection, and not only did he proclaim the resurrection, he claimed to be the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to Jesus as he made his way there, and they said, Lord, where were you? We, we, we sent word to you that our brother was dying, and the runner who gave you the message, he got back before our brother died. And if you'd been here, our brother would not have died, but you've come too late. And Jesus said, girls, I'm not ever too late. Don't you believe in the resurrection? And they said, Lord, we believe somewhere out there in the dim, dark, dismal future there's going to be a resurrection. And Jesus said, honey, I want to tell you, the minute I set foot on the place, the resurrection showed up. I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And so these theologians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they challenged Jesus' theology, especially about the resurrection. And they came up with the most fanciful story you could imagine. 
They said, Jesus, there was this man. He had six brothers, seven boys in the family. And, and this oldest son, he married a woman. And before she could conceive by him and, and give birth to a child, he died. And according to Moses' rules, his brother's supposed to come. And, and so that first brother, of the, uh, the first one had died, and now here comes that second brother, and he marries this woman. And before she can conceive by him and give birth to a child, he dies. Here comes the third brother, and he marries her. And before she can conceive by him, uh, he dies. And, and here comes the fourth brother, and he marries her. And before she can conceive by him, he dies. And here comes the fifth brother brother he marries her and before he can con she can conceive by him he dies and now it's the sixth brothers if I'd been the sixth brother I'd have been on a bus out of town I wouldn't have carried that heifer to buy a Dr. Pepper I mean she's already gone through six brothers not me friend I'm not interested in that at all she must have been a looker, but I'll tell you, there's, looks aren't everything. Gravity sets in after a while. But they say, now Jesus, this resurrection you're always talking about, who's going to be her husband in the resurrection? I mean, is she going to get there and take her choice? No. Dr. R.G. Lee used to tell the story about a man by the, who, who married a sister, uh, married a woman by the name of Millie, and Millie died, and then he married her twin sister, and Tilly died, and when it came time for him to die, they said, where do you want to be buried? He said, well, bury me right between Millie and Tilly, but if you don't mind, tilt me a little bit towards Tilly. <laughs> well, it's not going to be, but finally that group left, and then here comes the fourth delegation and it's just one guy he's a scribe and he's been put up to this by the rest of the scribes and he comes and he's supposedly an expert in the law he's a lawyer and uh, he questions Jesus about the law and he says Jesus tell me what's what's the greatest commandment and Jesus said well the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your mind soul strength and and body and then he said I'll do better than that I'll tell you the second greatest commandment and that is to love your neighbor as you love yourself and so every one of these groups came to Jesus as he's making his way into the temple on that Tuesday morning. And you know, sometimes you can get, get emotionally exhausted. Now, if you get physically tired, you can sit in your recliner, drink a Pepsi-Cola, and in 30 minutes, you're ready to hit it again. But if you become emotionally exhausted, it takes a while to get over that. And so when Jesus finally gets to the temple, he goes into the court of women, and he sits down, in the court of women. Now the court of women was one of the largest parts of the temple. It was 200 feet square and it was called the court of the women because that's as far in the temple as the women could go. Now the men could go on in further but the women were not allowed to go any farther than the court of the women. Now don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what it said. And now but in the court of women Men and women both worshipped in the court of the women. And also it was in the court of the women where all of the offerings were given. Mark tells us that Jesus sat over against the treasury. Now don't think the treasury was some great big old bank or block building. No, no. The treasury consisted of 13 baskets. 
These 13 baskets were like they were small at the top and then they opened up down at the bottom and they were put all around the court of women. 13 of them. Nine of them were for designated offerings and four of them were for just general giving. And so Jesus, when the Bible says he sat over against the treasury, it means he sat in a place where with his direct vision and his peripheral vision, he could see all 13 baskets at the same time. He saw every one of those baskets from where he was sitting. And he was sitting there emotionally drained from all of these challenges he'd already met. And he was sitting there watching people put money in the offering baskets. I guess nobody ever told Jesus that people's giving is a personal matter. I guess he never heard that what people gave was nobody else's business because Jesus was just sitting there watching people put offering in these baskets. I have an idea he still watches the offering and what people put in. But anyway, that's another sermon. But it, here he was watching, and then all of a sudden, trumpets began to play. Josephus, who was not a Jew and he was not a Christian, he was a Roman historian, Josephus tells us that when rich people came to put their offering in, that they would hire a trumpet player because the wealthy families wanted people to know they were going to the temple because when they went, the offering was going to be up. And so they wanted everybody to know that they were on their way. So these trumpet players, but they would play. Well, on this particular Tuesday, there was a great host, a great host of wealthy families that got together, and they were all going on. Maybe they heard Jesus was there. I don't know. And they wanted to impress him. But all of these wealthy families, and then they had enough trumpet players blasting out there to have made a philharmonic orchestra. And all these trumpets were blasting, and people began to look from everywhere. And here were all of these rich people. Boy, they were decked out in the finest clothing. And they had the turbans on, the men did. And the ladies had all of their trappings on. And they were walking in step. And everybody was looking at them. And they were so happy that everybody was looking at them. We're somebody. And we're going to the temple today. And we're going to shell out the funds. And so in they go. And they go from basket to basket to basket to basket. To, and I'm, Mark says that many that were rich, and there were many of them there that day, many that were rich gave much. And so they were shelling out. They were not being stingy. I mean, they were putting money in those baskets. And then after they did that, they would huddle over here to the side, and they'd pat each other on the back. Boy, it's a good thing we came today. It's good to be in the house of God. God's going to be better off because we've come today. We have shelled out. We fill these baskets. God's surely proud of us. And then the scene changes. You hear the shuffle of the feet of a little old lady. Mark says she was a poor widow. That's really kind of redundant because in that day, all widows were poor. It's not that way today. Men, when you die, your wife's going to get everything you got. And she might get married again. Somebody else is going to shoot your shotgun. Some other man's going to drive your pickup truck. Now, you won't have a thing to say about it. 
That's just the way it is. But in the day of the New Testament, that wasn't the way it was. When a man died, his wife got nothing, nothing. And so all widows were poor. But Mark informed us a poor widow. And she did not go from basket to basket to basket. She went to one basket. And she had two mites in her hand which make a farthing. Do you know how much a farthing is? When you get home, get your little handy-dandy pocket calculator and divide 17 cents by 96. It will come out on your calculator point zero zero one seven seven. That's nothing. You could not buy a used piece of chewing gum with what that lady put in that basket. A farthing. That was the least the law would allow you to give. If she had only put one of her mites in, she would have been barred from the temple for the rest of her life. You had to give two mites. That was the minimum. But that was all that she had. When she dropped those two mites in that one basket, Jesus who had been sitting there watching all those rich people put all that money in the baskets. When Jesus saw her put those two mites in, he called his disciples over to him and he said, Fellas, did you see what she just did? Did you see what she just put in that bag? Well, they had seen it. And that bunch over there, they'd seen it too. And man, they were just giggling and they were elbowing each other and chuckling. Boy, it's a good thing we came today. God would have gone broke if he had to depend on her. Oh. And Jesus said to those men, he said, she put more in than all of that crowd over there put together. Now how could he possibly have said that? Had he flunked second grade arithmetic? Did he not have any business savvy at all? Did Jesus know nothing about financial wealth? Was he completely void of financial wisdom? How could he say she put more in than all of that bunch put together? And he said it because all of them gave out of their abundance. That means they gave God a tip. Oh, they put a lot in, but it didn't cost them a thing. They would not have to miss a single meal. They would not have to miss a single Coca-Cola break. It did not cost them one thing because they gave out of their abundance. Good old God got a tip today. But this woman, 
she gave not out of her abundance, but out of her want. And she gave everything she had. She could not go home and pull out a cookie jar and pull out a stash. She didn't have a stash. She couldn't run down to the bank and withdraw money from her account. She didn't have an account. That was everything she had. Oh, they that were rich put in much. But Jesus said, this woman put in mucher. Now, mucher's not a word. But when I need a word, I make it up. Every word in the dictionary was made up by somebody. I got as much right to make up a word as anybody else. And that's the record according to the gospel of Mark. Now let me give you three little takeaways and I'll sit down. Number one, God does not always see things the way we see them. You see, we look through earthly eyes, but God looks through heavenly eyes. If we'd been there that day in the temple, we would have been impressed, marvelously impressed, when we saw all of those wealthy people going from basket to basket with double handfuls putting all that money. We would have been impressed. And when we saw that little old lady come in with those two mites, we would have been unimpressed. In our eyes, that crowd, gave the most but in the eyes of God that little lady gave the most God doesn't always see things like we see them in the book of Revelation Jesus wrote a church a letter to a church the church at Sardis and Jesus said oh thou hast a name you've got a reputation that you are alive there at the church at Sardis everybody in Sardis when they talked about that church man that's a growing blowing church man they've got youth activities and they do stuff for kids and the old people have uh, their suppers and they go out and look at orange leaves and man they do all kinds of stuff they're just thriving and growing and they're a live church but Jesus said thou hast a name that thou livest, but thou art dead. And I want to tell you, when the great physician says you're dead, you're dead. In spite of all that the community said, Jesus saw it differently. You're dead. He wrote a, church to the le- a letter to the church at Laodicea, and they were looking at themselves, and they said, man, we're rich. We've got everything we need. We don't need any more money. We don't need any more people. We, are, we have arrived. We are everything we'll ever need. And Jesus said, you're poor and you're blind and you're miserable and you're wretched. He doesn't always see things the way we see them. Two men went to the temple at the same hour for the same purpose. They went to pray. One was a publican, the other was a Pharisee. The Pharisee strutted down to the front, and he raised his hands, and he says, God, you sure are fortunate to have somebody like me. I'm not an unjust man. I'm not an adulterer. I don't cheat people, and I'm not like this publican in the back. I'm a good, moral, law-abiding man, and I fast, and I tithe, and, oh, you're just blessed to have me. 
and that publican stayed back in the shadows and he just smote his chest with his fist. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, if we'd have been there that day, we'd have been real impressed with that publican. You know, Baptists, you know how we are, man. If he fasts and if he tithes, that's all we're interested in. Sign him up quick. Jesus said one of those men went to his house lost, the other went saved. Well, surely that Pharisee with all of those credentials, surely he left church saved. No, he went left church lost. A tithing lost man, a fasting lost man, a, a moral lost man. And Jesus said that publican who recognized his sinfulness and confessed it and asked God for mercy, he went to his house justified, saved. You see, God doesn't always see things like we see them. Number two, giving is not a matter of money. Giving is a matter of the heart. God is not as much impressed with the amount as he is with the motive. God doesn't just see the zeros on a check. God sees the reason from the heart. That crowd over there, they shelled out that day, but God was not impressed at all. This lady gave every... i tell you what she knew. I, she knew something that I wish every Baptist in the house knew. She knew that her livelihood did not depend on what she had in her pocketbook. Her livelihood depended on the faithfulness of God. Beloved, everything we've got came from Him. And even when we're without, if we're with Him, that's enough. That's enough. Giving is not a matter of money. It's a matter of the heart. And one last thing. God doesn't always see things the way we see them. Giving is not a matter of money. It's a matter of the heart. And finally, little is much when God is in it. Point Zero, zero, one, seven, seven. That's nothing. But little is much when God is in it. Last night I told you about that lad that had five little barley biscuits and two small dried fish. And Jesus used it to feed thousands and thousands of people. Little is much when God is in it. David brought down Goliath with a slingshot Samson killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And Gideon, with his little band of 300, killed 135,000 Midianites. Little as much when God is in it. David was just a young boy. When the battle came, all of his big brothers, they were in the army. But David was too young. He was too small to be in the army. 
But David got those ants in his pants. He, he got anxious. He wanted to go out and see how his brothers were doing in the battle. And as he made his way out to the battlefront, you could just see him with a little skip in his step. I know my big brothers, they're out there whipping up on those uh, Philistines. I can just see them knocking their heads and poking their eyes out and hitting them with his fist and driving them through with their swords. And when he gets out there, there's no battle at all. And David looks around and he sees the army of Israel. They're hiding behind trees and rocks and in caverns. And David says, great God, what's going on here? And they say, shh, shh, shh. Be quiet. What's the matter? They got a giant over there. They got a what? Shh. They got a giant over there. Well, how big is he? Oh, he's big. He's big. Well, is he bigger than King Saul? The Bible said Saul stood a head taller than anybody else. Is he bigger than Saul? Oh, he's a lot bigger than Saul. Well, is he bigger than all of my brothers? He's bigger than all your brothers put together. Well, is he bigger than God? David, go home. You're embarrassing us. We'd rather watch Joel Osteen. He makes us feel good. Yeah. David, you just make us feel terrible. Go on home. And David said, I'll fight him. I'm not afraid of him. And out he goes to do battle with Goliath. Goliath is over there on the other side, and he sees David coming toward him. And he laughs. And when he laughs, he shakes the ground. Ha, 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 ha. Am I a dog that the children of Israel would send out a flea against me? David said, yeah, you a dog, you a dead dog. And he puts that stone in that sling. Whoosh, 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 and lets it go. And it hits Goliath in the head, and down he goes. And David goes and takes the sword and cuts off Goliath's head. Little as much when God is in it. He doesn't always see things like we do. Giving is not a matter of money, it's a matter of the heart. And little is much when God is in it. As I told you last night, you don't have to have a lot to be effective in the service of God. Just give Him what you have and you'll be amazed at what God will do with it. Amen.